How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensie. Tim, happy belated birthday, sir. How you doing? Doing good. Uh, A little sleepy, but that's just because too many video games, but there you go. Good birthday overall, though? Yeah. Went to the zoo, went bowling. Overall, fun time. Awesome. And Chelsea planned a very good surprise birthday. He's just saying that because I'm here. <laughs> well, it's also true. It is true. Hi. Hey, Chelsea. So today's episode, we are going to be continuing our off-season episode tradition by looking at our Hockey Hall of Fame wish list for 2020. Now, we're, there's going to be a few changes to this year's episode, as in years previous, we went from 1 to 5, most likely to least likely. This year, we decided to change it up a bit. We are actually going to go... One through six, how we're going to do this, picks one, two, and three will be players. Pick number four will be in the builder category. Pick five will be a long-time snub. And the sixth pick will be a female. And apparently there was a fucking motorcycle in the background. Yeah, I cut it out. Oh, it's too late for that now. So, Tim, another thing that we're going to be doing for this year's edition is... I couldn't decide which one of us should go first, so I've decided that we're going to do what I'm sure the Catholic Church probably does for the Pope. We're going to flip a coin. Damn. So, before I flip it, Tim, what do you call? Wait, how could I confirm that it's actually what you're saying it is? We're not using video. Tim, would I lie to you? Maybe. I'm not going to lie to you, Tim. Just, just <laughs> get it. call it. It is indeed heads, which means, Tim, you get to go first. So, who do you have on your 2020 Hockey Hall of Fame wish list? I know it's a wish list, but we do have to square it with reality, and Jerome McGinnis is shooting. Four times All-Star, 2008-2009 Messier, two times Rocket Richard, uh, Clancy in 03-04, Pearson in uh, 2001-2002, and the Art Ross in 2001-2002. Uh, he has over a thousand points, and he was probably one of the biggest celebrities to ever grace Calgary. But just the way the city embraced him, like I cannot see Jerome McGinley not being in the Hall of Fame. No, and absolutely not. Man. Even though he doesn't have the Stanley Cup, he was so damn close. For sure, and not just one time, but he was also close. I believe. Uh, no, I guess he was only close twice because he went to the finals with the Bruins. Yes. So, like, the pedigree of Jerome Aginla is undeniable. He's going to get in there without too much of a problem. Yeah, that's a solid pick. And you also, we also got to mention that this year is his first year of eligibility. Mm-hmm. Like, he's an easy first year in. Oh, for sure, man, for sure. So, Tim, who do you have for your second pick? It's going to be 
science history the rest of the way out, and uh, we're going to start with someone who should have been in already, Daniel Alfredson. Daniel Alfredson may not have the hardware, and probably not as close as Jerome McGinnell ever was, but the points speak for themselves. Uh, we're looking at a total of 1,100 points over a 17-year career, spent almost entirely of Ottawa, one of the longest tenure captains of all time, one, one Olympic gold and an Olympic silver, and he's synonymous. Like, when people think the Ottawa Senators, they think Daniel Alfredson. And I'm almost surprised that he hasn't been entered into the Hall of Fame already. Yeah, and I mean, granted, we'll talk more about it when we talk about my wish list. But so far, I'm really happy with the picks that you've, just, you've chosen. So, Tim, <clears throat> what do you have for number three? Marion Hosa. This is a guy with three Stanley Cups, an all-star appearance, over 1,100 points, and the only reason his career stopped was because of a degenerate skin condition. Like, Marion Hosa should be a shoo-in. Like, as much as a lot of focus on those Blackhawks teams with Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, Marion Hosa was doing very good work on those on those teams where they won the Stanley Cup. Like, we're talking... He had multiple 70-point years with Chicago. That's pretty nuts. Absolutely. And the fact that, because the guy was a star player in the National Hockey League, that he was also willing to play second fiddle to guys like Taves, Kane, Seabrook, Keith, Jomerson, like the big names with the Chicago Blackhawks. And the fact that he went to three straight Stanley Cup Finals, 09, no, sorry, 20, uh, 2008, 2009, <laughs> and 2010 before finally winning it, 2010... It's actually fantastic. Yeah, and like, it's a story that should be memorialized, and even if he doesn't get in this year, I see him getting in eventually. Mm -hmm. The only thing that really holds him back was uh, being, like, being, playing for, I think he played for Slovakia internationally, which the rest of the team was never quite there. Yeah, they had some really good pieces around there, like Pavel Dimitra, but... Overall, as a team, they weren't there. And actually, you know what's funny? We were talking about the three Stanley Cup finals he played, and you remember back in high school, that was something that we always talked about. We're like, boy, what is it about Marion Hosa not winning Stanley Cup? Like, what if he goes to Chicago a third time and doesn't win it? Yeah, and I remember, like, part of it was like, I really like Marion Hosa, so I want him to win eventually. But at the other hand, I'm like, it would be really funny if he went to three different teams and lost three different times. I know like, that would be a stat right there if he had if he'd done that. Yeah, like the man would have been legitimately cursed. Although that's a fun, that would be an interesting curse to immortalize as well. So Tim, with your fourth pick, who do you have in the builder category? You know, this one's I found this one hard because like most of the like the prolific builders are already in, and with Poyle going in, there's not a lot left around the NHL. Um, although my digging did find one thing that really surprised me. What's that? Errol Ballard is in the builders category. And the man's known as a super villain. Yeah, but the fact is that he probably got in because he was a part of the 1967 Toronto Maple Leafs team. Yeah, that's probably it. Like as a builder? Yes, I believe he went in for that year as well. Uh, okay. I, I I might be wrong, but that's probably because you were saying that he got in. I'm guessing that's probably why. Is because he has, I think he was on a couple of those Leaf teams 
or he was in the front office for those mid sixties team that won the Stanley Cup. So that's probably why. But the fact is that when he became the majority owner of the Leafs, like he did so many things to alienate the Leafs fans. Kind of like what Eugene Melnick's doing with the Senators today, you know, except he's not destroying what should be a national treasure in the Hockey Hall of Fame, which is the famous gondola that Foster Hewitt called all of the classic games in at mm-hmm. Maple Garden. Yeah, so like I was thinking for a joke pick, it's like, look at all the shit Melnick's done, but at this point with uh, Ballard looking back at us, that's not funny, so I think... Uh, I think Brian Murray, honestly, could be up there. Like, the hard thing is this season, I don't think he has a strong team attached to attached to his name like Lou Lamorello or, or Al Arbor or those guys do. But uh, look at what he was able to do with Eugene Melnick breathing down his neck. Yeah, and the fact is that's just an isolated incident because... Like, he was with the Detroit Red Wings. Like, he helped build them up. He was with the Washington Capitals, helped them build them up. Uh, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, he helped them build up to 2003 when they went to the Stanley Cup Finals. And I think, for us being Senator fans, I think we look more at his time with the Senators because Brian Murray was seen as a buffer between the players and Eugene. And definitely when Brian passed away in 2017, we saw firsthand post Humiously, what happened to the Ottawa Senators without Brian? Mm-hmm. And it's like Brian Murray has a really a fairly solid coaching record too, so I don't think he'd be out of place. No, I think the only thing for Brian is that he doesn't have, as far as I know, he doesn't have a coach of the year. He doesn't have an executive of the year. He doesn't have any hardware Harder. to back up his he case for the hockey Adams. Oh, he does have a Jack Adams. Yep, 1983-1984 with the Washington Capitals. Okay, yeah, so okay, he would only have that, but overall he doesn't have any championships to speak of or any of the big things other than Jack Adams trophy. And I was going to, no, I don't think he even won a division title with Ottawa. I think he was... Eastern Conference champions. Oh, six and seven. Fuck, that's right, he was the head coach for us that year. Yeah, and then they were first in the regular season the year before. So he coached a team to a president. He's probably coached. He's coached multiple teams to a president's trophy too. I don't know. I don't think we won the president's trophy in 0506. You know, I thought we did. We were, no, were uh, Detroit did. Detroit won it. It was uh, 2002, 2003. Yeah, I think it's pretty, probably because I remember him more as our GM more than our head coach. So that's why I'm totally blank on the fact that he. You know, was the head coach for the 06, 07 teams. And, but no, I, I really like that pick, though. And that's one that I think last year, if we had done a builder category, I most likely would have put Brian in that category because, you know, because fuck Eugene Melnick. Well, not even like fuck Eugene Melnick. It's on, on top of that, Brian Murray was able to accomplish a lot. And, like, he's had a fulfilling career at both the coach and the GM level. So I think he's a – I think Brian Murray's a good pick. No, I'm really happy with that pick. All right, so we're moving on to our long-term snub. And we've talked about this person multiple times and wondered how the hell is he not in the Hall of Fame. 
a thousand points in less than a thousand games. Won the cup in the year 2000, two times All Star, and won the Bing Award in 2000 to 2003. Alexander McGillney. I have no idea how he isn't in the Stanley Cup. Sorry, he isn't in the Hockey Hall of Fame. For for my money, I think the reason why he's not in the Hall of Fame today is because while he does have over a thousand points in under a thousand games, you go back and look at those stat years where it's so up and down. It's like, yeah, he got like seventy six goals, but he would also have like twenty five goals or twenty six goals, or he wouldn't. He would only have maybe fifty five points, and especially like. Go and look at some of the years in Vancouver. Like he had a, like a fifty goal season his first year, I believe. No, his first year for sure. His second, I don't think so. And then it was like the last couple of years in Vancouver. Like you watched him, and you're just like, "What the hell is going on with this guy?" Like this guy was so supremely talented. There was players and talent around him, and yet he only has like fifty five something points to show for it. To me, he reminds me a lot of Alex Kovalev in the way that Alexander McGillney was super talented, but he would only play when he felt like it. Yeah, and I can see that keeping up, but at the same time, like he's got the hardware, and he's got the points, and it's just unfortunate that 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 other part comes with it. Yeah, he seems to be one of the superstars that... Nowadays, kind of gets lost in the shuffle when you talk about the superstar players of the '90s. Because of the '90s, I mean, well, the obvious ones are so obvious, like Mario, Wayne Gretzky, Brad Hall, Jeremy Roenick, players like that. And Alexander McGillney kind of gets lost in the shuffle. He's kind of like, I don't want to say like a Pat Lafontaine or a Pierre Turgeon. He's kind of one of the, kind of like one of those guys that. You would name several players, and then you would get to him like, oh yeah, I remember, say, Alexander McGillney, or I remember Peter Bondra, or I remember a player like that. Or even like Alex Cole, the aforementioned Kovalev. Yeah. Yeah, he's not like a Yager or a Mario or something like that. But it's like, that's someone who I think he should be in there, because like his overall body of work is, it's fantastic, but sporadic. And as much as it pains me to say, he was on those Toronto teams that were sent sinkers. Yeah, but he was on the back half of those years. And actually, one thing to note about his tenure with the Maple Leafs is that, if I'm not mistaken, I think he is the only player to top Matt Sundin in points in a single season. Yeah, it was 79 in 02-03. Yep, that was the only year that he ever that anybody passed Sundin in those years because Sundin you go back and look and here like we are a sense podcast and we obviously bitched about Matt Sundin getting first year but you go look at his numbers he was consistently a 70 to 80 point guy every single season so the, so the numbers are there yeah it's funny that there were a lot of really good Swedish players coming over you had Sundin like Sundin Alfredson Forsberg. like they were consistently good yeah, Forsberg, Naslin, Nick Lidstrom. Yeah, it was an untapped well, and uh, definitely Detroit did it better than others. <laughs> For sure, and then they also got Nicholas Cronwall as well, and Henrik Zetterberg. Yeah, and then there's, let's move on to our last ca- last category. For the female? female? 
Who do you have, Jim? I was really surprised that Cassie Campbell wasn't already in there. And you know what's funny? And before we hit record, and I asked you what your list was, when you said Cassie Campbell, I'm, I remember saying to you, no, I think Cassie's already in, Tim. And you're like, no, she's not. I checked. She's in the Canada Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah, and that's crazy. Like, she was on a lot of those gold medal winning teams, too. And she was also on the silver medal team in 98. So, yeah, yeah, I'm surprised that Cassie Campbell still isn't in the Hockey Hall of Fame today. Well, for so long, she was the face of women's hockey in Canada. And uh, she continues to be an ambassador to women's hockey to the world with her work on CBC. Sorry, TSN. But, uh, no, CBC. And it's just the fact, like, she'd go, she'd go and, like, sign. And this isn't it just, uh, like do her play in her work, she'd go over to Afghanistan and sign stuff for the troops. Like, this is a woman who lived, breathed, and was an ambassador for hockey, and it's frankly surprising that she isn't in there. And yeah, as you're saying, she's got the hardware. She has two golds, two gold Olympic golds, a shitload of IIHF golds. It's frankly surprising she's not there already. I know. Like, even... Me hearing you say that, I'm thinking, like, okay, how is she not in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Like, because I know that we were talking about Haley Wickenheiser, and I'm like, well, yeah, but that's obvious, but so is Cassie Campbell, too. Cassie was was her teammate in all of those teams, and she's not even in yet. Yeah. And it's actually interesting, because, like, yeah, she's also, like, after her time, she also, like, just reading more about her, it's like, she was part of the Olympic torch relay, for God's sakes. Back in when we had the Olympics in Vancouver. Yeah, you know what's funny? You go back and look at some of the the torch relay runners they had for that. Like they had, I think Steve Nash was one of them. Gretzky was one of them. Trevor Linden was one of them. Cassie Campbell, like you said. So they had a lot of Canadian hockey players representing our country in that relay. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I don't... I think I have any more to say about this, to be honest. I think all we could say is that we're still surprised that she's not in. So, but hopefully for 2020, Cassie Campbell could be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Okay, Tim, now that you got your 2020 Hockey right. Hall of Fame wish list out of the way, it's time to talk about my wish list. And just to kick us off, my first pick is, of course, the man that's been eligible since 2017. Daniel Alfredson, and I don't know what to say about Alfredson. As it already been said, he was a, here's the thing, he was a late-round pick in 1994 for Ottawa, 133rd overall. He was Rookie of the Year. He scored over 1,000 points in over 1,000 games between the Senators and Red Wings. He was a six-time All-Star, Olympic gold medal winner, holds every offensive record for the Ottawa Senators, and he was also the first European-born and trained captain to lead his team to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2007. The only thing is that he does lack overall NHL awards and a Stanley Cup. But I'm going to go on a little rant here because this was something that you and I talked about when the 2019 Hockey Hall of Fame class list came out. And we were thinking, holy fuck, Alfredson's finally going to get in. He's finally going to get in. You know, Because the last couple of years, 2017, 2018, we as Senator fans could rationalize him not going in. 2017, we could rationalize it because, okay, Timo Solani went in, Paul Correa went in. You know, you had some guys that you look at that and you're like, okay, that makes total sense at why Alfredson would get passed over. 
2018 was the same thing because you look at that list and it had Martin Brodeur and Martin St. Louis, and you're like, okay, you know, Stanley Cup winners, overall legends in their own right. And coming to 2019, you look at the list and you're like, okay, Alfredson's totally going to get in. This is going to be his year. And Guy fucking Carbonell got in instead. And I was so fucking pissed about that. Seriously, Guy Carbonell. Of all fucking people, this is a guy, he doesn't have a thousand points. He doesn't have any real individual awards other than a couple of Selkies and Stanley Cups. Like, really, does Guy Carbonell really deserve to go in before Daniel Alfredson? A guy, like I said, a late pick, rookie of the year, over a thousand points, an all-star, Olympic gold medal winner. Like, seriously? Yeah, it was such an ass-headed pick, and you know some fucking... Boomer who grew up watching him picked it. It's fucked up. Yeah, and you know what? Sense Twitter absolutely threw a fit about that, and everybody was saying, you know what? I didn't like fucking Geek Carbonell anyway. Well, what the fuck did he actually do? It's easy. It's easy as shit playing D. Okay. Actually, no, let's not say that. But it's probably not as hard to play defense on a team that has the fucking rocket. Rocket. Like, he didn't play on those fifties teams. Oh, he didn't play. No, he played on he the played eighties teams. Oh no, eighties teams. Well, like the point stands. He was playing on some stacked ass teams. Yeah, and this is the one big criticism a lot of people have had about the Hockey Hall of Fame is that they do overly rely on the original six. And I think there was a few years ago. I can't remember the fellow's name. He was like a stay-at-home defenseman, and he got inducted in. And people were so pissed that he got in instead of, say, Cam Neely or uh, Paul... Not Paul Coffey. Uh, Paul Correa, Pavel Burry, Phil Housley. Like, guys who are le- should be legit Hall of Famers. And they all got passed over in favor of this guy. This is the exact same thing. Guy Carboneau, who was considered one of the best defensive forwards of his era. So, I'm not knocking him on that. To me, he's not... Worthy of being a Hockey Hall of Famer. I understand that he won three Stanley Cups. He won two Selkie trophies. But that's it. That's all he has. He sh- That shouldn't get you into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, at that point, it's like, if he's in there, fuck it, put, put Shane fucking Doan in too. Because there's obviously no goddamn standards. No, but you know what, though? If Guy Carbonell got in, then why isn't... Oh, here's a good one. Why isn't Theron Fleury in? Why isn't, as we said, Alexander McGillney in? Guys who were legit superstars in their time. Who did more and won more than he did. Yeah. It's... Like, it's, as I said, it's some guy remembers watching on TV as a kid. He's like, oh, he should be in here because I think he's cool. Remember, this is a... The Hockey Hall of Fame has such beautiful members as fucking Pierre Maguire. At the end of the day, we can't actually expect too much out of them. So, Tim, I'm going to move on to my second pick because I don't think I can say anything more about Daniel Alfredson. The only other... I guess the last thing I could say about Alfredson is somebody on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, somebody said maybe Daniel Alfredson's snub into the Hockey Hall of Fame is a direct response to how Eugene Melnick is running the Senators and how he's pissing everybody off in the NHL, which 
I don't think personally they would take it out on the Senators by not electing Alfredson in. Unless Alfredson holds a legit grudge against Melnick and they feel that he might unload on him when he goes to the Hall of Fame. But I don't think Alfredson would do that. No, I don't think so either. But it's an interesting thought, right? Because, you know, and over the last couple of years, we've seen what happened to the Ottawa Senators post Brian Murray. And we see that, you know, every player and everybody on this team that we've loved is already gone, including Alfredson. <clears throat> Maybe it's just they don't want to touch the Senators with a 10-foot pole because the Senators are radioactive. Maybe. So we're going to move yeah. on to my second pick, and this player is in his first year of eligibility. Another player that you picked as well. Jerome McGimla, drafted 11th overall by the Dallas Stars in 1995, became a member of the Calgary Flames in a trade that sent Joe Newendike to the Stars. What can I say about Gimla? I mean, the guy's decorated in the pros, junior hockey, international. He was a two-time Rocket Richard winner, Art Ross and Lester B. Pearson Award winner, two Olympic gold medals in 2002-2010, a World Junior winner in 1996, including a Memorial Cup winner, 1,300 points in 1,554 games for Calgary, Pittsburgh, Boston, Colorado, and L.A. As you said, the only knock on him is that he doesn't have a Stanley Cup, but I feel that his overall career is strong enough to get him into the Hockey Hall of Fame, even without that Stanley Cup. Oh, for sure. And it also helps that uh, he was so goddamn close. So close. He was so close. And actually, it's kind of fitting that I pair Alfredson and Aginla together because career-wise, I kind of think of them in the same vein of... You talk about a guy who is a longtime captain of a Canadian franchise. He had over 1,000 points with that franchise. He took him to the Stanley Cup Finals. He did everything but win the Stanley Cup with him. Yeah. But I think one of the big things is Calgary was... The Flames are a bigger meteor market than the Senators for whatever reason. And I think, again, was Canadian, so he got to play on Team Canada, which got him more exposure than playing on Team Sweden. That's true, and the I fact that, that well, the fact that Jerome Aginla is a noted, really good guy, and he was in, he was very marketable. That also helps, and I think that's why a lot of people, when talking about Jerome Aginla, they put him as one of their favorite players. And I know even Steve Dangle, the U, uh, Leafs YouTuber, has come out and he said that Jerome Aginla was his favorite player, who was never a Toronto Maple Leaf. Yeah, and it's. Jerome McGinn was a guy who's hard not to like. That's true. I mean, I know, I even know like Edmonton Oilers fans and Vancouver Canucks fans that did not hate Jerome McGinn. Yeah. Well, it's just the guy was a class act through and through. And he just did so much in the community. That is true. And actually, like, uh, before I go into number three, I do want to tell a little story about Jerome McGinn because. There was this noted story during the 2002 Olympics that, because he and his family were in Salt Lake City, and his family was staying at a hotel separate from the team and the the Olympians, and Jerome Gamma struck up a conversation with these two guys from Calgary who were in town to watch Team Canada play, and they were sleeping in their car, so Jerome Gamma excused himself and booked them accommodations on his own dime at the hotel where his family was staying. Like, that just, ha- and, you know what, that just says everything about Jerome McGinley right there. 100%, yeah. 
and an amazing career for Jerome. For sure, man. So we're going to move on to number three. Now, this player has been eligible since 2013. I'm going to go with Keith DeChuck. Now, I was going to go with Marion Hosa, but I figured that I didn't want you and I to have the exact same list. And I just felt like Keith DeChuck would be a really good pick. Now, with this pick, I was very torn between him and Jeremy Roenick. And honestly, I've talked about the possible Roenick getting in, but I think that Roenick has run his mouth a, way too much to the NHL to really, for them to really legitimately look at him as a Hockey Hall of Famer. So I'm going to go with Keith to Chuck. Now, Keith was drafted 19th overall by the Winnipeg Jets in 1990, a five-time All-Star, silver medal winner for the 2002 Olympics, winner of the 1996 World Cup of Hockey, the first American-born player to lead the NHL in goals for 52 in the 96-97 season with the Phoenix Coyotes, Second all-time in game-winning goals for the Arizona Coyotes with 40, and franchise leader in penalty minutes with 1,508. He's also considered one of the greatest U.S.-born players of all time. His career stats, he has over 1,000 points with 1,065 points in 1,201 games for the Winnipeg-Arizona, St. Louis Blues, and Atlanta Thrashers. Now, the only thing that really... As I said about Daniel Offerman, the only thing that really holds him back is his lack of individual awards and a Stanley Cup. Has kept him out of the Hockey Hall of Fame all of these years. Yeah, and it's interesting because at the same time, it was like being on the, the U.S. side, his, he kind of got held back in international play to some degree. Like there's the silver, the silver in 0102, but other than that, not a lot. Well, I guess there's the World Cup hockey. Yeah, but you know what, though? You could also maybe say the same about Brad Hall, who also played on those teams. And I believe he got in... I want to say he got in either first or second mm-hmm. year. Yeah. So yeah, like Keith Kachuk's... It, it's an interesting pick. I'm actually surprised he didn't go with Rod Brindamore. Rod the Bod? To be honest. You know what? Rod, Rod the Bod. Rod, Rod Brindamore would have been a really good pick, but... For me, he was more well-known for his defensive play. Although his stats and the fact that he won a couple of Stanley Cups would dictate that he could be a Hockey Hall of Famer. But for my money, I just think Keith Tuchuk is a bigger name than Rod Brendamore, given that he was a captain on the Phoenix Coyotes, and he he was a captain on the St. Louis Blues, and he was a very well-known player in the National Hockey League during his career. So that's why I'm going with Keith Tuchuk over Rod the Bod. True. Although I do have, I do have to respect my island roots. That is true. That is true. I'll give you that. <laughs> so at number four in the builder category. Now you were talking about that you really had to dig to find somebody who wasn't already in. And for myself, I think this guy is a perfect inductee in the builders category, and that is Bruce McNall. Now, Bruce McNall, for those who don't know, was the minority owner of the LA Kings in 1986, buying 25% of the team before becoming the lone owner of the team in March 1988. Now, this is why I'm going to put Bruce McNall in, because I feel he should be credited for his efforts in the growth of hockey in the United States, along with somebody like Gary Bettman. Now, I know a lot of people don't like Gary for obvious reasons, but you know what? Without Gary, the NHL would have never grown the way it did. And the real... The real thing that really started to push this growth of hockey in the United States 
was August 1988 when his first big move as owner of the Kings was bringing Wayne Gretzky to the LA Kings. Yeah, and that's one of the one of the big things with LA sports in particular is if you're not winning, no one gives a shit. It's true. I mean, you could look at well, look at the when the Raiders were in LA. Like, yes, they won a Super Bowl, but a couple of losing seasons, the fans stopped caring. And the same thing, even the Lakers nowadays, like the Lakers have had a couple of really bad losing seasons and the prestige of that team is not enough to get them free agents. And that's why you saw someone like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard going to the Clippers instead. Mm, And it's funny that like the Clippers just have to have a few good seasons to just leapfrog the Lakers. And then it's, as you're saying, like the shit show of LA teams coming and going. Yeah, and there was also, for a couple of years, like when the Rams first came back to L.A., they were not drawing anything because they were a terrible team. The Chargers are the same way. They're not really... They're they're playing in front of flies, essentially, right now in L.A. Now, going back to what I was saying about Bruce McNall, I still say he should be credited for his efforts. One of the big things that he did during his time with the Kings is that he did preseasons with the Kings in cities that now have NHL teams. Most notably, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Dallas, Tampa Bay. Like, he was doing exhibition games in these cities. And he did the very first outdoor game in Las Vegas in 100-degree weather against the Rangers. And Bruce McNall said, boy, you know what? If these fans will come up watch this outdoors in 100-degree weather, imagine if they brought a team here. Although, one of the big knocks against McNall is... Five counts of conspiracy and fraud and admitted to bilking six banks out of $236 million over a 10-year period, sentenced to 70 months in prison. Yes, and that's the one note I do have on this, why he's not in right now. You know, he did serve 13 months before being released on good behavior. And one final note I will make, though, is that he also has a CFL Grey Cup. He was the owner of the CFL's Toronto Argonauts when they won the Cup in 1991. Although it's interesting because, like, he seems to be popular still with the players. Like, Wayne Gretzky even refused to allow the Kings to retire his number until McNall was out of prison. Mm-hmm. And I know even TSN did a... I can't remember if it was TSN or Sportsnet. They did an expose on him, and they talk about his popularity in L.A., and the L.A. fans still love him. Even though that he sunk the Kings in so much debt when they were when he went to prison... Fans still come up to him and thank him for bringing Wayne Gretzky to L.A. some 30 years later. Yeah. Yeah, so that's my pick for the builder category, which means I'm going to go on to number five for my longtime snub. Now, this is a gentleman who I still cannot believe that I am the only person who is so up in arms that he is not in the Hockey Hall of Fame today. You think about it. This is a guy he called hockey at... The college level, the pros level, he did junior hockey, he also did the, he was a commentator in the NHL games from 2007 to 2014, and he also was one of the commentators for ESPN NHL 2K5, and this is another guy, like Bruce McNall, I think he should be credited for his efforts in the growth of hockey in the United States with his play-by-play calls. Now think about it this way, Tim, for us living here in Canada, We've never had to have the game of hockey sold to us. 
because it's our national game and we've always had play-by-play people in place that for generations people can talk about, talk about how great they were, you know, and three names obviously come to mind. There was Foster Hewitt, Bob Cole, and to a lesser extent nowadays with Jim Houston. And this gentleman, when you talk about commentators for the United States, yes, while Doc Emmerich and Eddie Olchek do get a lot of credit nowadays for their call with NBC, this guy is the original when the NHL finally got the national rights in 1992 to ESPN. For number five, for the longtime snub, I'm going to go with former NHL and ESPN play-by-play man, Gary Thorne. Now, Gary Thorne began calling hockey games for the University of Maine in 1977 and continued it to do it until 1987 when he joined the New Jersey Devils as their play-by-play man. He started calling national games for ESPN, ESPN2, and ABC, which is actually where I remember him most because in the late 90s, early 2000s, I do remember the NHL and ABC being a thing, and I remember watching the Avalanche Red Wing games on on that channel. And he was a big part of that. He called all those games, and he still talks about how great those games were. And he began calling games from 1992 until 2004. And he returned for a couple of games in the 2016-2017 season, filling in for eight away LA King games. Filled in for Bob Miller, another classic play-by-play man. He was also a play-by-play man for Electronic Arts NHL games from 2007 for the NHL 2007 until NHL 14 with Bill Clement, who is also his partner with ESPN, as well as, I said, ESPN's NHL 2K5 game. And he also called a number of Frozen Four tournaments, as well as the 2010-2011 World Juniors for the U.S. games on the NHL Network. Now, Tim, I'm going to do something, and really, I haven't done it a lot in on this show. I've decided to bring a clip in. For myself, this clip is about four to five minutes long. I highly recommend to sit through it, after listening to this, if you still don't think he's a Hockey Hall of Famer, just just shut the episode off. So without further ado, yeah, just, just turn it off. Just shut the episode off. So without further ado, Tim, we're going to go right to that clip. Let's roll it. We go into this second overtime. Gretzky had it, lost it. Eisenman picks it up. Eisenman moving. Blue line chance. Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! Power play goal! Three to nothing, Colorado! And the center shot! Score! The New Jersey Devils have won the Stanley Cup! Jason Arnott with the game-winning overtime goal! Still held in, UA Group shot, and score! Back to the point, Desjardins. Mario blocked it, Lemieux heading up ice, here he comes, here he comes, Mario Lemieux, hang on, he scores, you gotta love it! Trailing, Gretzky, looking, Gary Curry, McSorley, to Gretzky, scores, he did it, he did it! The greatest goal scorer in National Hockey League history is Wayne Gretzky! He drops it in the middle, bouncing, tip, score! It's cleared out of the zone by Recky. Hooked away, Lindros. Lindros. Recky winning. Lindros. Oh, oh, oh. Take the roof off, baby. Oh, Lindros. 
Rochin, Steve Rochin, a little one, Rochin, a shot, save made, Joseph, rebound, not center, in front, Rochin, score! Finals, as good as they thought he would be. Darren McCarty comes back with Neiman in front of him. McCarty draws. McCarty in. McCarty scores! A magnificent goal! Darren McCarty! All those circumstances, not alone. Nicholas Lindstrom shot, hit the post, score! It went in! Detroit wins in overtime. Nicholas Lindstrom! Primo got it away to Commander. A shot, score! For Ronick, lets it go. Primo, Primo draws it. Side of the net. Ronick shot. Overtime. Comes back near side to Renberg. Renberg moving it in. Renberg leaves it. Here's Lindros. Open shot. Sure, and the fact that Gary Thorne is one of these guys that he's been calling hockey for so long, his voice is so distinct that 
you could watch any game and be like, oh yeah, this is Gary Thorne. And the fact that, just from that clip alone, like you were listening to that, you could hear, you know, the Steve Eisman call, Joe Sackick, you know, throw in whatever call you have. Like, these are all calls that I listened to some 15, 20 years later, and I'm thinking, wow, like, this is amazing. Like, this guy really had a knack. And for me, the big knock on Gary is that he only, he was really only calling hockey in the NHL naturally for 12 seasons because the NHL or ESPN lost the NHL rights to NBC. And when that happened, Gary Thorne decided to just decide to call baseball games full time, which he was already doing because I think at the time, from what I understand, when he first got hired on with the devils in 1987, he was the play by play man for the New York Mets baseball team. And post hockey, he became the full-time commentator for the Baltimore Orioles. And there's actually a really good interview. And maybe after when this episode launches, maybe I'll include this interview I'm talking about. There was an interview done a couple of years ago. Um, it was one of the people working for the Baltimore Orioles interviewing him. And she does ask him about his time working in hockey. Listening to him talking about his time at the NHL and calling those games. And one of his favorite calls is when Wayne Gretzky broke the record for most points, which is one of the clips in, which is something that I included in that, in the clip. Like that's one of the most iconic clips. And for me, I always think that was iconic. Uh, Mary Lemieux's last goal before his first retirement, which was in there. Stevie Y 96 against the blues. Like those are all classic moments that he called. Mm hmm. And as you're saying, it's like a distinct, beautiful voice. And, like, he has a skill for calling stuff. And part of me wonders if having the same commentator between uh, baseball and NHL helped ease fans across the line. Maybe. And I know for myself that even listening to those calls, like I was saying, in the 16-17 season with the LA Kings, he still he still has it. Like, he still has the knowledge. He can still call hockey. That's really a shame he doesn't call hockey anymore. Because I think the National Hockey League and this generation of hockey fans are truly missing out on one of the legends. Yeah. Although, at the same time, Doc Emmerich and Eddie Olchek do a very good job on ESPN. They do. And that's what, even though they are very polarizing, I know a lot of people are either they either really like them or they really hate them. And the same thing up here in Canada with Jim Houston. A lot of people either really like his calls or they really do not like him because he seems to have a real bias towards the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I can understand that. And it's like with Doc Emmerich and Eddie Ocek when they call the NBC games that they always have the bias towards, say, one of the bigger name teams like the Blackhawks, the Penguins, or one of those teams that are of, that are one of the contenders. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, which is frustrating. Like, if you're the... Na- like, it's frustrating for the national team to have, a, to have a bias, but at the same time, you have to recognize the skill. And I think that... It's a shame that Jim Houston does get paired with Gary Galley a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like Gary Galley brings Jim down. He does. Like, I think as a tandem, like, I can deal with Doc Emmerich and, like, 
sorry, Ayolchek and Doc Emmerich because together they're very good despite their biases. Yeah. Well, Gary Galley is just so flagrant that it's hard to watch. I know, and as much crap as we give someone like Paul Romanock or even a later day Bob Cole, you know, Jim Houston at least can call hockey really well, and he doesn't have a real, like, constipated, nasally voice to him like Paul Romanock does. Gary Galley's kind of a dick. <laughs> it is true. Now, the one final comment I will make about Gary before I move on to my sixth pick is that, and we were ta- I was talking about this at the very beginning of this pick, how we here in Canada, we always had the play-by-play guys that we could always name for generation to generation. And up here in Canada, we always we had three things to sell hockey to us. We had the rivalry, which was the Canadians and Maple Leafs. We had a network, which was CBC, and we had the play-by-play guy, which was either Foster Hewitt or Bob Cole. In the United States, was the exact same thing. The commentator was Gary, the network was ESPN, and the rivalry was the Red Wings and Avalanche. You... You're missing one last item. What? The beer. That was Molson Canadian. That is true. That is true. But, yeah, for Americans, even people who weren't even interested in hockey was interested in the Red Wings avalanche rivalry of the 1990s. Well, that was a hell of a rivalry. I know. It was a beauty for sure. Yeah. Well, Tim, with the sixth pick for the female, I'm going to go with Manon Renon. Now, Manon Renon is a player that is a trendsetter in so many ways. She's a trendsetter because she was the first female to play in the Quebec International Pee Wee Hockey Tournament in 1984. The same tournament which Wayne Gretzky played in 10 years prior. The same tournament that Guy Lafleur was in. All of the great superstar players ended up playing in that tournament. She also became the first female to play in a men's major junior hockey game with the QMHHL's Tras Riviere Devers. And also became the first female to play in a men's pro league with the International Hockey League, the East Coast Hockey League, and most notably the National Hockey League in 1992 with the Tampa Bay Lightning. She won two gold medals in 1992 and 1994 in the International Ice Hockey World Women's Championships and a silver medal in the 1998 Winter Olympics. She played until 2009 and also served as marketing director for Mission Hockey in 2000. And we also got to mention that her younger brother, Pascal, played 10 seasons in the NHL, winning a Stanley Cup with the Devils in 2003. That's a story. Like, that's a hilarious, amazingly storied career. And one of the night, and I think she probably has a good chance of getting in, given that they're at least putting, like, even five years ago, you'd get a female inductee once every few years. Mm-hmm. Now it seems to be an annual occurrence which really increases the chances of uh, a lot of these stories in women's hockey to be told. For myself, Menel Reynold was somebody who, as I said, she was absolutely a trendsetter. She did help sell hockey in Tampa Bay in 1992. And one of the things that, if you go back, if you go and look at her career stats... It wasn't like she played many games for those teams and those leagues. Like, you look at her stats, she only played maybe two, three games with each team. She played in roller hockey. She was She's a coach. And for me, the fact that she still hasn't gotten in 
for just being the first woman to play in the NHL is absolutely a crime. 100%. And for myself, um, when I was talking to, thinking about this pick, I had it was going to be either her and there was another female, I'm, I can't think of her name right now, and I did remember this because I watched it in the Hockey of People's History documentary done by CBC in 2006 when that happened, and she talked about how she fought the hockey establishment in the 1980s to let girls play on boys' teams in the minor league or minor hockey league level, and she eventually got in, and they actually passed a law, which now girls can play on boys' teams. Yeah, yeah, that that's actually really cool too. Uh, I can't believe that documentary is 13 years old, and I still haven't watched it. You know what? All of those uh, the the documentaries on YouTube. I can just send you a couple of the links. Um, I'll try and find the yeah. one that I'm talking about, and I'll send that to you. You can have a look. But yeah, I figured to put Menon on this list because of the fact that she does have a higher profile than she does. And given mm-hmm. that you know she did play in the NHL, she did play in the in the Q, she played in all these men's leagues, and she was also in David Letterman. Yeah. Not sure what. Well, just because this was during the time when she made when she got signed by the Lightning, though, so it was to help uh, help sell the team. Yeah, fair enough. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up this week's episode on our 2020 Hockey Hall of Fame wish list. Now, before we go into the intro, or before we go into the close. We do got to talk about our next episode. Now, this is an episode that you proposed to me, given that the Ottawa Senators just traded Mike Condon to Tampa Lightning for the dead contract of Ryan Callahan. So I'm going to let you take the floor here and talk a little bit about what our next episode is going to be about. It's something that Sens fans have, long, have suspected this whole offseason and probably beforehand as well, but it's really come up to the light. We're going to be discussing the question, are the Sens circumventing the salary cap floor? And this is a question I never, like, when the salary cap was instituted in the last full-season lockout, this is a question I never thought that I would actually be discussing. Because, like, how pathetic do you have to be to not be able to keep up when the rest of the NHL pays you to keep up? Well, the fact is that the Ottawa Senators are not the only team who has done this, and most notably the Arizona Coyotes of the last couple of years was doing that when they took on the dead contracts of Chris Pronger, Marion Hossa, and Pavel Datsuk. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting just to explore that and talk about is it a, is it, is it a strategy that the NHL should come down on and uh, or is it just a way for small market teams to keep up in a world with salary, salary cap inflation? I think it'll be a good It is going to be a good episode, and I believe that that episode and the next episode after that is going to be even better because you're going to be in studio to record it with me. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be a good time. Yeah, it's going to be a really good time, and I, you know, I've been really happy with these off-season episodes. I feel that doing one every two weeks has really allowed the episodes to breathe, and it gives us enough time to fully go into depth 
about the topic we're going to be talking about. What, you didn't like doing eight episodes in three days? I didn't mind recording them. Editing them was a bit of a pain in the ass because I knew I had to record eight episodes. <laughs> uh, it was fun. It was a good time. Well, Tim, with but, that yeah, being I... said, is it time to head into the clothes, bud? Yeah. Let's go for it. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I loved recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Sensecast. And because our bod Dave made the mention, we're on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter, at ThirdLinePlug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger, and I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about your wish list for the 2020 Hockey Hall of Fame, shoot us an email, ThirdLinePlugSenseCast at gmail.com. Until next time, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jetsy. Go Sens, guys. My time here is up. They're going home!